wanted to uh, start off by just telling you a little story this morning um, from my life um, that I think is going to be helpful in us as we dig into this question that we're going to be wrestling with today as we continue this little series we're walking through called Words Create Worlds. So when I had um, finished up college, I took this little internship job after that and wasn't sure if I was going to go back for more school, if I was going to you know, submit and get a real job and kind of move into the real world there in that season. And um, me and a friend were, were talking through this one night and he said, well, you know, he said, I have this friend who went and moved out to Colorado. And he said, and they just went up on the mountain and just like drove up and they needed so many people to work in the ski resorts that they just like got a job that day and like they just like lived there and everything was fine. And we were like, well, cool, let's do that, right? And so we decided that's what we're gonna do. We pack up and much um, to our parents' dismay, we decided that um, we were gonna pack it up. And so we were living in central Illinois and um, we had about $2,000 between the two of us to our names. And we left and headed west and um, drove all the way across Interstate 80, across the central part of the country there. And um, we spent the night before at the bottom of the mountains there, right outside of Denver. And the next morning we went up and got up there just before lunchtime. And we said, all right, let's find a place to live. And so we started driving around um, downtown Vail and downtown Beaver Creek. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but like when you got 2000 bucks, you ain't gonna find a very good place to live. And in our like arrogance, in our, you know, just aloofness of it all, we were like, oh, that looks good. You know, we can squeeze that, you know? And so we started calling all these numbers and calling these people and trying to figure out what was what. And when we explained to them that we had $2,000 and no jobs, um, the phone calls got very, very short. And if you know anything about that area, um, it is not a cheap place to live. And so we were a little kind of taken aback by all this, weren't sure what we were going to do. And so I remember we went to go grab some lunch and we walked into two places and we were like, yeah, we can't afford this. And so we walked out and we remembered there was a McDonald's up the road. And so we said, let's go, let's go back to that McDonald's. We're going to regroup, get around some of our people and um, see, see what we can figure out here. And so we go into the McDonald's and we're sitting there and this was like kind of pre, you know, finding a place to live on the internet. And so we got all these newspapers and there's this one called the Vail Daily up there. And like, there's these little apartment brochures and we're like flipping through these things, making calls, trying to figure out what we're going to do. And we like start praying. We're like, God, we just really need you to like open a door, like a literal door. We need you to open a door for us to live in because this is problematic here. And so we get on the phone and we're calling these people. We're getting rejected. You know, we're eating our fries and Big Macs, whatever. And this guy walks in and he's standing in line and he's like the classic ski bum, right? Like the guy that you can just tell was like born, you know, at the top of a chairlift kind of thing. And so he's up there and um, he's standing in line. He's over here in our conversation and he walks up over to us and he introduces himself to us. And in the most classic like ski bum name ever, he introduces himself as Fonz. Okay. And so we're like, what's up Fonz? Right. And he's like, listen, he goes, I love it when people move up here and take a little leap of faith. He goes, I got some connections up here. He said, let me help you get squared away. And so we're like, you know, answer to prayer is Fonz. And so we get, um, follow him up to this place and he gets us set up. And this person agrees to rent us a furnished apartment for six months, but our rent won't be due until the second month. But then the rent will get spread out over the five payments instead of the six because we're broke as can be, right? And so we, we agree to this and we move into this furnished apartment, but they had nothing in the kitchen. Like there was no like forks, knives, plates, bowls, anything like that. And so we're like, all right, we're going to spend a little bit of our money so that we can, you know, have some stuff to cook food at home and eat with. 
And so we go down to town and I remember we went into the store and it was like, you know, one of those places where it's like a plate, it's like 50 bucks, right? And so we're like, this isn't working for us. And so we asked him, we're like, where can we just get like a plate, you know? And she's like, well, there's, there's a pier one down the road and it's pretty cheap over there. And so we laughed that like their, their dollar general is pier one, right? And so, so we go into there and we get like $20 worth of a plate, a cup and a fork, just one each is all we had. All right. And so we go back and then begin like this winter, this six month season of just like scraping by to eat, scraping by to live, just, you know, having a good time. The skiing was free though. So that was good. And so there was this one particular day after we'd been up there a few months though. And um, I just wanted to say all that to kind of set the scene of, of how we were there. And so I was going up to work and I was running a little late and I decided that I was going to go into the drive-thru at Burger King. There's a little Burger King there if you've ever been there. And I was like, I'm going to sweep, sweep into this Burger King and I'm going to grab me a meal on my way up to work. And so I pull in and I place the order and I go up to the window and I'm getting ready to pay and I have like $7 cash. And she's like, it's going to be $8. And I was like, but I have $7. (laughs) And she's like, well, it's $8. And I was like, I literally have $7. And she's like, but it's $8. She says, do you want me to keep the fries or the drink? And I was like, well, keep the fries. And so she hands me this burger and a drink. And I remember driving up the mountain to go into my office and thinking, I have never been so broke in my entire life, right? And so I'm driving up, driving up this mountain and and I have this moment and I, I remember driving up, I'm so broke. And I just kept thinking, you know, this is a seat. Season. This is fun. Like we're out here to ski, all these things. And I said to myself, I said, someday um, I'm going I'm to come back there and I'm just going to order whatever I want. And, and, and it's going to be okay. And so fast forward to last year, um, this December, my family had a little vacation. And so we went up to, to ski up there and I wanted them all to see where I'd kind of lived and all of that. And so, so we go up there and there's this one particular day, all the girls were, were off. And so it was just me and Owen and he's sitting there watching this show and he goes, I'm hungry. And I was like, I'm hungry too. And I was like, let's find somewhere to go. And he was like, what do you want? He's like, I don't care. And I was like, I know where we're going, buddy. <laughs> I was like, we're going to Burger King. And he's never been to Burger King. We don't have Burger King, right? He's, ne- he's never been to a Burger King. And he's like, the name sounds fancy, very royal, right? And I was like, well, come on. It's going to be good. And so we walk into this Burger King. And I remember, like, we're sitting in the car in the parking lot. And I had this conversation with him. I said, Owen, I said, when we go in here, buddy, you get whatever you want. I was like, if you want off the big kids meal, if you want a grown-up meal, whatever you want. And so he goes in, he orders this Whopper. He's all excited. Eats like three bites of it. He's like, I want the chicken fingers that I always get, you know? And I was like, go get the chicken fingers. I don't even care. Here's the credit card, right? And so he goes back, gets those, and he gets done. He goes, can I really get whatever I want? I was like, yeah. He goes, can I get dessert? I was like, go get dessert, dude. And he eats half of it. He's like, can I get another dessert? I was like, get another dessert. And we spent like 20 bucks, and it was awesome, right? And so I'll tell you, tell you that kind of drawn out story for a reason. And there's this quote you'll see up here on the screen. It's from this guy named C.S. Lewis. And he says, I think we delight to praise that which we enjoy because the praise does not merely express but completes the enjoyment. That's an interesting thought, right? This idea that like we don't fully experience something until we're able to share that goodness with someone else. And so there's this sense that like, yeah, you know, it was great to be able to go back to Burger King, but like it was so much better to go with him, right? And it's so much better to be able to laugh and tell the story with you. And it's like we do that together, there's this sense that like it's more fulfilled. And like I get the full experience of going back up there with, you know, more than seven bucks to my name when I'm able to do that with someone else. And I think the principle is true with our faith. 
But there's this, this weird thing. There's this group called Barna, and, and Barna is a research group in the U.S., and they do a lot of studies on, you know, faith-based things that are happening in our country. And so they did this study a couple years ago, and it was like in 2019, I think, and they, they interviewed like thousands of people who were followers of Jesus. And they would say to them, they said, what is, the, what is the most important thing, or like how important is it that someone have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And it was like top shelf, nearly every person was like, that is the most important thing that you need to do if you're going to follow Jesus. Like you got to own it, right? But then they asked this question later and they said, how important is it that we share that same faith? And the results from it were kind of interesting. It said 47% of the people answered that it was wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share that same faith with them. That's interesting, right? Like there's this sense that we're like, this is the most important thing and, and we fully experience it when we share it, but we just don't feel like we need to share it. And now it's interesting. And I think there's a lot of reasons maybe of why we don't. And just my kind of anecdotal, I didn't do like a Barna study. But I think for some of us, like there's just this sense of like, when I start talking about it, I feel a little hypocritical. Right? There's a sense that when I start saying like how gracious God has been to me, I hate to admit how gracious God has been to me because I screw up over and over and over and over again. And so, you know, I just, I kind of don't like having to talk about my failures in light of that. Okay? Maybe that's for some. For some, I've heard conversations of like, I hate getting into conversations about faith because I think it's going to go to a place where there are questions that I don't know how to answer. Right? Like if I just start talking to you about Jesus and my relationship with God, you know, they're going to say, why do bad things happen to good people? And you're going to be like, I don't know. Let's just move on. Right? And like we get to these places where like, they're like, well, what, what do you think about, you know, the book of Leviticus and what's going on there in chapter four? And you're like, I don't know. You know, like, and so because we don't know those things, right? Like we, ju we just shut the conversation down. And we, we say, I'm not, I'm not going to enter into those conversations. I'm not going to enter into that place because who am I? I'm not qualified enough. I'm too much of a hypocrite. I'm all these different things. And so how is it that I'm really going to be able to express what it is that I feel deeply about my relationship with God and the grace that I've been shown in my life? You see, I think we're created for community. I think we're created to share in experiences. I think we're created to spur one another on in love. And so we miss a big part of our faith and our growth and our understanding the goodness of God when we're not willing to talk about these things. When we're not really willing to have conversations about our faith and what's going on in our hearts and our spirits and our souls. But I think it's really important, right? Because words create worlds. And so how we talk about our faith shapes how we live it out. And if we're in awe of the grace that we have been given and talk about that, I think we begin to see more of that grace. If we're in awe of the provision given to us and we're able to talk about that and give thanks, I think it changes the way we worship when we come into this room. If we confess our brokenness, it reminds us how bad we need forgiveness and we become more humble and more grateful for what has been given to us. There's a little passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He talks about this and he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So there's a sense, right? Like we, we need to be able to talk about this. Like if this is the most important thing, if this is the central view of which we see the world through, this is the lens of which we see the world, like we need to be comfortable being able to talk about these things. And so imagine with me that you, you're sitting in a restaurant, you're in a booth, you and a friend who isn't a follower of Jesus, has no real faith in much of anything, and, and they're sitting across from the table and they're like, you know, I, I've just, I've seen you go through this difficult trial. 
And the way that you did that was just so different than I would have done that. And I want to talk more about that. Or they said, you know, at work, I just see your integrity. And I'd love to just talk through that with you. I've seen you overcome this obstacle. I've seen you overcome this addiction. And it's clear that your faith has been a big piece of that. Let's, I want to talk to you about that. Or they say it's clear that like you just have a joy that's just different. It just, there's just something that you have a peace and a hope that circumstances don't seem to dictate your mood every single day and that you're able to kind of live above the everyday moment-to-moment stuff. And, and I want some of that. And the question at the end of every one of those, right, is this question is like, so, so who is Jesus? How would you answer that? Words create worlds, right? So, so who is Jesus? And I think the answer to that, how we answer that, answers how we go forward in almost every situation and case in life. So who is Jesus? What we believe determines deeply how we behave. You see, if we see Jesus as the one who forgives us, it makes us much more forgiving. If we see Jesus as the one who's provided us with so much more than we could ever need, it makes us so much more generous in heart and spirit. If we say, who is Jesus? And we answer that question from a place of humility as someone who is so broken and so sinful and so doesn't deserve it, but sees that for what it is, it makes us so much more graceful to those around us. So who is Jesus? And you see, how we answer that, it determines what happens in this room. Determines in the conversations we have at lunch is Father's Day, right? It determines how we parent. It answers how we go about our job. It answers how we go about school. It answers how we live out the relationships around us. Who is Jesus and how we answer that answers how we go forward in all of these other areas. And so what does that look like for us? Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn me to John chapter 9. And there's this real interesting story here where Jesus encounters this guy who's on the margins, this guy who's really on the fringes of life and um, seems to be overlooked in many situations, who doesn't feel like he is smart enough, good enough, all of those things to be able to answer this question. But it's really interesting to see how he does answer this question. And I hope it can give us some hope and encouragement this morning. So in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, As he went along, Jesus, as Jesus went along, he saw this man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, so right there, there's like a lot packed in here. And I think it's going to kind of give us a perspective which to view the rest of this story through and a little lens to, to look at this with. Okay, first off that we see is if you have, you know, a pen, you may have just circle that word saw, right? As he went along, Jesus saw this man. And there, there's a lot to be said for that, right? Because in this, in this situation, in this community, without digging into all, all of it, there's a, probably a good chance that most people knew who this guy was and he begs every day because he has no other way to get money or to get resources. And odds are that this guy had become like a piece of old furniture on their commute and their walk to work each morning. Right? It was just that thing that was over there that like we didn't really pay much attention to, didn't really notice, but now that you, you know, said it, maybe, yeah, we see it there, right? But like Jesus in this moment sees the person who has the least ability to give anything back to him in this moment. And he sees him. But then when you watch the reaction of the disciples, it's like they still don't see him even after Jesus sees him. Because when they start talking about him, they don't go to a situation, a transformational conversation. They go to an informational conversation, right? The conversation isn't like, hey, how can we help? 
The conversation isn't, Jesus, we've seen you be so gracious to so many other people and we've seen you heal other people. You should heal him because he's hurt, right? Like that's not the conversation. They don't say like, Jesus, oh gosh, we, I, don't, I can't believe we never saw him before. Like, let's help. Let's get involved. What they do is they don't talk about transformation. They talk about information. And the disciples ask him, they say, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. He becomes like a case study, not a person. And I think real quick for us, as we sit with this, as we read through this, I think it's really helpful for us to kind of put ourselves in this blind man's position. And we may not be blind, right? But for us, maybe that we could just say, you know, all of my junk, all of my things, you fill in the blank, whatever that is, right? Like here I am, me and all of my mess, and Jesus sees you where you are. And so then in verse 3, Jesus answers. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so he starts to say like, okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to use this so that people can get a better glimpse of who Jesus is, right? Here's the question, who is Jesus? And so Jesus says, well, with this situation and this, this circumstance, I'm going to show you who I am. And so then they have this conversation and Jesus has this really weird moment in verse six. And sometimes in the Bible, there's these stories that like, if you've been around the church for a while or VBS, they kind of get a little normalized and you're like, oh yeah, it's the one where he spits in the mud. But like, that's so weird, right? So if like, we can just see that with fresh eyes this morning, that Jesus leans over, he grabs some mud, he spits in it, creates this paste, puts it on the guy's eyes and he sends him off and he says, I want you to go wash in this pool that's called scent and then your, your eyes will be healed. And so he goes and he does this. And in in verse eight, after he comes back healed, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same one who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was, but others said, no, he only looks like him. And so it's like a funny kind of conversation if you can just kind of build this image in your head, right? So you have this group of people who don't view him as transformational and as hope and as has potential. They view him as this like piece of furniture who can't see and probably did something wrong to deserve it. And then Jesus comes on and he sees him and he fixes him and he heals him and he restores him in this weird scene with the mud on his eyes. And then they split up and they get into two camps. And it's kind of like you can imagine this guy who used to be blind, but now he sees standing in the middle. And you got this group of people over here who are arguing with right, like literally like right through his ears to the people over there who are like, oh no he didn't used to be blind and they're like oh yeah yeah he was totally blind totally blind guy and they're like no 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 wasn't blind at all I promise different guy you're all confused and they're like no 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 it's this guy and then the last little part of that verse is great because he himself insisted and he's like no 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 it's me really it's me like I'm the one and he's like, no one has talked to me yet in the whole story, right? Like y'all are like trying to figure out information. You're arguing over what's going on with me. And he's like, no, I, I see now it's me. It's really me. I sat there for 40 years. Not one of you saw me until this Jesus guy came. He saw me. It's me. But that doesn't seem to quite be enough. And so they ask him this question and they're like, well, well how then did your eyes get opened? Like he's supposed to have an answer to this, right? And so, so they ask him and he starts going on and he's like, I don't really know, but this man called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes and he told me to go and wash. So I did and now I can see. And like how like un- unbelievable of a story that is, right? And so they tell him this story and they say, well, where is this man? And he's like, well, I don't know where this man is. And then if your Bible's like mine, the next section right before verse 13, it has this little heading that says the Pharisees investigate the healing. Right? You just feel like the, the, the tension that's happening in the story right here. Because they say, who is Jesus is really what we're trying to figure out here. And Jesus says, I'm going to show you who I am. And when he begins to show who he is, these frustrated people, these, these privileged people get a little frustrated by it. Right? 
And they don't, they don't really like what's about to happen. I read this quote this week that was really good. It says, when the gospels become bad news to the poor, to the oppressed, and to the brokenhearted, and to the imprisoned, and it becomes good news to the proud, self-righteous, and privileged instead, it is no longer the good news. Okay, and so in this moment, it's like, really, it's like, who's this, who's this going to be for? Is it going to be for the healthy or is it going to be for the sick? Is it going to be for those who have all the information or is it going to be for those who need the transformation? And so they investigate it. And they bring in this man who had been born blind and they get all these people together. And then um, they ask him and he's like, tells him again. He's like, I don't know, you know, the whole mud thing. And then in verse 16, it says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he did not keep the Sabbath. Okay, and this is an interesting argument, right? Because their argument is all about information. They're like, well, if he knew the rules, he wouldn't have helped the guy who couldn't see. And just as like you say that out loud, you're like, well, that's kind of ridiculous, right? Like you can help him, but you'd have to bend a little rule to help him. And so like, that doesn't make sense, right? And so you see kind of the tension that's at play. But then others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? And then it says, so they were divided, right? They're, they're, they're divided over this question of like, who is Jesus? They can't quite figure it out. But others asked, how can, and then in verse 17, then they turned again to the blind man because their argument wasn't getting anywhere. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes who were opened. And the man replies, he's a prophet. And and it's kind of an uneducated answer, really. He's like, that seems like the right thing to say. It seems like someone who knows more than us. It seems like someone who had access to God in a different way than us. And so it it was a prophet and he's had the transformation, but he doesn't really have all the information and so he says he's a prophet. Then in verse 18, it says, They still didn't believe he had been, blind, been born blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. It's like they just thought he was lying, just making it all up, right? Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one who was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And then you go down to verse 20 there for the next couple of minutes. And it's really funny because they're like, you know what? We don't want any part of this. Like they just didn't want any part of the conversation. And they're like, he's a grown man. Let him answer for himself. And they just check out of the whole conversation. And then in verse 24, it says a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. And I think what's interesting about the parents checking out, and I think maybe a little bit of what John's doing there, is setting the stage for just how intense of a moment this was. Right? You got all these leaders, you got all these privileged people, all these people that got all the information. They're here and they didn't like that transformation. And they didn't like what happened there. And it kind of rattled their cage of how things are supposed to be and who Jesus is supposed to be, who this Messiah is supposed to be, who they're supposed to be. And so they're wrestling with this. And this moment gets real tense. And you got all these people, all this conversation going on around it. You got this guy who's never seen any of these people. You got this guy who's never seen his home, who's never seen his neighbors, who's never seen all these people who've walked past him. He's taken all of this in, in this moment, as he's getting hammered with these questions from the leaders of this culture at this time, in the religious culture, coming at him. And it's just this moment of intense pressure on this guy. And it says, so a second time they summoned this guy who'd been born blind. And they say, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. And he's like, I don't have all the information. And if you you want me to talk about Jesus, I I I can't answer every question that you got for me. In fact, I answered it, you know, a little goofy a minute ago. 
He's like, but listen, in, in, in a world where we always want to overcomplicate this, where I think the tension in this, the tension that goes back to the survey, is we want to make this so much more complicated than it needs to be. And we want to make these conversations so difficult and so like for the smart people who've been to seminary, and, and they're not all smart in seminary, I can promise you that. I made it through, right? Like you look at all these people, right? And, and you just, we just want to play these games of why we don't want to have these conversations. And then he gets there and he replies, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Then he says this. He says, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And he's like, and that's my story. He's like, I, I was blind, Jesus, now I see. Do with that what you will. And so who is Jesus, right? And we, we're sitting across the table and we, we have to answer that question. How I'd love for us to be able to answer that question, what I'll give you just in the next minute here is just a little framework for how to answer that question that we take from this guy. As we begin to look at that and we just say, you know, I used to be this, Jesus, and now I'm this. And, and that's, that's the story. And sure, there, there's more to the story. And sure, we can dig deeper than that. But there's this sense of when we experience Jesus, we experience transformation. And so for some of us, you know, the story, the words create worlds, right? And we want to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. We want to be prepared to share about this thing that is the most important thing to us. In the temptation to overcomplicate, what if we just completely oversimplified it this morning and said, you know, I used to be really angry all the time. And I had these unreasonable high expectations for everybody around me and they could never meet up to them. But eventually I realized that I could never meet up to the expectations of perfection before God. And yet God's grace was there for me over and over and over again. And when I realized that in my heart, when I allowed that to really transform me and change me, the way I see things, I've become so much less angry and so much more compassionate. See, I used to be this, Jesus, now I'm this. I used to be just fixated on money. I used to think like if I just had enough of it, it was going to solve all my problems. I was going to have this peace that passes all understanding because I got more money than my brother-in-law. And we get to that moment and we get to that place, right? And we encounter Jesus and we realize our worth is not in how much we can produce. Our worth is not in the things that we can accumulate, but our worth is in who we are and who we've been created to be through Jesus. He said, I just, I just was able to let all of that go. And I was let able all the competition go. And when I go to work in the morning, it's no longer about what I can get so that I can have enough to prove my worth. But I've realized that this is all grace upon grace and that everything that God entrusts me with, I'm able to look through those resources and look through that money and look through the house I've been blessed with, looked at all these things that I've been given through this lens of how can I use this in response and in worship to the grace of a God who's given me more than I could ever need. And it changed me. I used to be this, I encountered Jesus and I, I just see it all different now. It used to be about my selfishness and everything was about me. And then I encountered Jesus and I realized that it really is like more blessed to give than receive. And that I had this, this transformation that I'd been given so much undeserved and boom. Now, because I see it different, I can give it. Life used to be so hopeless for me. I used to have this sense of like, what am I even doing here? What is this all for? What is this worth? Why am I showing up and selling more of this stuff? And why am I, you know, racing and competing and so angry about these things? And I encountered Jesus and I realized that this hope and this future that is so much bigger than these things that are temporary right before us. And it changed me. You see, when we have that transformation, like we don't have to be able to give a good critique on Leviticus chapter 5. We just need to be able to talk about the transformation that we've experienced. 
And when we begin to talk about the transformation that we've experienced, I think it creates a cycle where we begin to see more of the grace that we have been given. But for some of us, you know, maybe, maybe we haven't experienced that transformation. And, and I want to talk to you a minute about that this morning on this Father's Day, because I think for some of us, th- the situation that we find ourselves in is on a, on a day like Father's Day, that there, there's a lot of people that will make the case that really kind of the main attributes that we give to God and how we interact with God and how we interact in that relationship are oftentimes pretty directly related to the relationship and the attributes that we would provide to our earthly father. And there's this sense that if like we had a real distant earthly father that we can sort of feel like God's a little distant. If we had an earthly father that we could just never be good enough for, there's a sense that we can kind of view our heavenly father through that same lens. There's this sense that if we, we had a father who was always angry at us and every time we made the tiniest mistake, we would get, you know, just harshly punished for that thing, that oftentimes the way that we interact with our heavenly father is the same way. And so I think for some of us, you know, we've been blessed with fathers who are loving, who are caring, who are gracious, kind, patient, gentle, all those things. And, and it's really helped us in the way that we view our heavenly father. But for some of us, that's, that's an obstacle that we have to overcome. But this morning, as we, we do that, and as we wrestle with that, and as we see that, that maybe we can see that as an opportunity to say, you know, I've always looked at Jesus as if this was how he felt about me. But that maybe this morning we could just kind of put ourselves in the shoes of the one who was blind, the one who had been overlooked, the one who never measured up, the one who was never good enough. And just as Jesus saw him, that you could believe this morning that God sees you. And you could believe that in spite of all of the mistakes, all of the restarts, all of the junk, the lack of knowledge, the lack of education, all of those different things that you want to fill in the blank that just make you not good enough. And just rest in the reality this morning that in spite of all of that, God sees you, God loves you, God is for you. And when we open ourselves up to it, God's spirit will come inside of you and begin to work that process of transformation from the inside out. That's the good news. And that's for all of us. And so this morning, as we, as we wrestle with that question, right, of who is Jesus, how would we answer it? Because how we answer it answers really how we go forward. And there's a passage in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 16 there. And you'll see it up here on the screen. And you have this moment with Peter and the disciples, and they've been following Jesus for a while now. And it's a little later than this story of the healing. And they get up, they get up to Jesus, and they get into this area. And his disciples, he asked, Jesus asks them, he says, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They, they ask the question that I'm asking you. They're like, who's Jesus? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. And for us, I think we could answer, you know, kind of fill in some blanks there, right? For us, some people say he's a good teacher. Some people say he's a nice guy to follow along with, you know, whatever those things. And then, and then he gets really personal with them, right? And he says, but what about you? Jesus just looks him right in the eye and says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers in this Christ claim. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And when he says that, everything changes. And so this morning, right? Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And I think for some of us, maybe this morning, we can wrestle with that question. And it can begin to bring a little bit of healing. For some of us, maybe it can be a question that we answer that brings a little bit of a new beginning this morning. For some of us, it can just be a reminder that we go forward. But whatever it is, I hope that this week you would just wrestle with how do I say that out loud? Because I think when we say thanks out loud and when we can give that thanks, it, it, it completes the joy. 
And when we begin to share that good news, and when we begin to share good news of what is happening and what is being changed in our hearts, I think it creates a cycle where we see it clearer and we begin to live in it deeper and we begin to experience the grace even stronger than we did before. And so who's Jesus to you this morning? And I pray that as you see that, that you'd share that because our words create our worlds. And I believe with everything in me that God's with, for, and in us. And how do we live that out in light of who he is? Amen? Let's pray. God, we give thanks to you this morning. We give thanks to you for who you are. And God, as we um, sit with this passage this morning, may we just see ourselves and our brokenness in it. And may we just give thanks on this Father's Day that you, our Heavenly Father, see us, that you give thanks for us, and that you love us exactly where we are, but God, you love us too much to leave us there. And so may we grow, may we be shaped, may we be transformed, and may we be able to speak thanks for the good that you have done in our lives. May we speak thanks for the perfect heavenly father that you are. May we speak thanks for the grace upon grace that we are given yet don't deserve. And may we leave this place today so confident that you are with us, that you're for us, that you're in us. And may we go and tell that story. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. listening to sermon audio from Good News Church in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. We have Sunday services at 815, 930, and 11. If you're interested in finding more information on our church or ways to get further involved, visit goodnewschurch.life. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you soon.